Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. The interesting thing about stock tips in general is it's in a sense no different to a fund manager. If I say follow an investing newsletter, right, hypothetically, I'm not learning, I'm just following. It would be like I'm going to go and learn to cook by going to a restaurant or learn to cook by reading a recipe book. But you don't learn to cook by any of those two methods. You learn to cook by making a lot of really bad dishes. And then hopefully the dishes get better over time. That's how you learn. And so even those ways of helping people invest or follow my stock tips, they're not really helping you. You might get lucky, which is nice, but you're not going to be any better investor afterwards. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. We talk a lot on this podcast about researching companies, fundamentals, profit statements, analyst reports, the numbers behind the code so that you can better inform your share purchase decisions. Joining me today is Al Bentley from Simply Wall Street. G'day, Al. How are you going? Good. Thank you very much for coming on. The Simply Wall Street app helps share market investors by giving them access to quality institutional financial data presented visually through easy-to-understand infographics. And um, I hope that's not a problem with podcasts because it is all infographics, isn't it? It's all visual, isn't it? It's mostly visual, yeah, but Mm. it's nothing wrong with podcasts either. So (laughs) That's good. That's good. Something that I've seen you speaking about is that uh, many people buy stocks based on hype and blind hunches. When did that realisation come about for you? (laughs) Um, Well, probably when I made the mistake myself. Oh, that's right. We all make these mistakes, (laughs) don't we? (laughs) Yeah, those mistakes, uh, they're good to make. You know, the reason I started Simply Wall Street was I was teaching myself to invest. I was going on the journey myself, as I call it. And so, you know, for me... I spent six months in the sort of what I call the learning phase as I was learning, just reading, trying to get my head around everything. Back then, even opening a brokerage account was a, a bit more convoluted than it is now. Now you can do it in five minutes. And I think it took me six months to buy my first company. And yeah, I mean, my first set of companies, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, but in the grand scheme of things, they were great mistakes to make. And I don't think people should be trying to not make mistakes in investing, you know. You've got to embrace mistakes and it's part of your um, tuition fees, really. It's how you learn, yeah. Mm. And the thing is also you're going to continue to make them and you need to also have that mindset. You're not going to get everything right and that's totally fine. Yeah, so for me, going back to the hype piece, yeah, I've made those mistakes myself and it's how people get drawn into into the market anyway, into the premise of investing. So a lot of people are coming in and you got to think, what is the actual objective by doing this? I think, broadly speaking, people come into investing. Some people may come in with the correct mindset from the start. Pretty rare, I would say. It depends on, again, their path. A lot of people will come in with a slight get-rich-quick mindset. Oh, you know, I've read about people buying this stock and it did this. I think I can replicate it and do the same, Right. And so initially people are sort of hunting for that. And then I think a lot of people over time, once they make those mistakes, you might get lucky. I would actually say getting lucky is worse because then you think you, you know, oh, I've got it. This is easy. you're a genius, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you actually want to make the mistakes earlier with hopefully less capital. 
and people generally slowly migrate towards the mindset of are oh, actually the game doesn't quite work like that the realization that yes you can get lucky and buy something and it will it'll go through the roof in a few months but that's not what you're attempting to do and you actually try to avoid those type of stocks it makes the whole process a lot easier you just focus on you know the buying great companies approach and, and it just simplifies everything so most people sort of slowly migrate towards that mindset usually because they'll question their own mistakes there's lots of educational material as well when we do user research with our customers that's a common theme people saying oh you know i want to be more long-term in my thinking but i find it hard to not overreact to news and that could be on both sides that could be on the hype side to your point like oh we've got to buy the stock now today's the day you know or the opposite where something's happened and they're like oh god i'm going to get out i'm going to sell and that's pretty much a recipe for disaster, you know, so. Are you from a financial services background? No, I'm not. I was originally a naval architect, right? So, um, <laughs> no, I'm not at all. <laughs> but then also, this is the interesting thing. Most of the products that are built to, to help individual investors are built by people from financial services backgrounds. And a lot of those people, they haven't been through the journey themselves. So they don't know necessarily what it's like. It's good to have been through the journey to make the mistakes to say, oh, this is what it's like to, to be confused about this, you know, and then figure it out later on and be like, oh, now it makes total sense to me. Why is this so complicated? And I still believe that it benefits the industry for investing to appear complex and difficult and something that professionals should do versus something that individuals can be empowered to do. The whole industry is built around that effectively. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. So how long simply Wall Street been going? How did it um, begin? I sort of started full-time on it in the uh, middle of 2014, but I was working on it for 18 months before that, right, as a, what I call a side project. So it's something that I always recommend people pursue. Side hustle, I think's the term these days. Side hustle, it? side project, yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. But yeah, and it was something that I kept coming back to, I kept experimenting with, and the more I was experimenting with it, the more I was like, oh, wow, this has potential, this is really big. And I got the opportunity to come to Sydney and, and really start it properly. So that's when it started. You know, we made a lot of the classic mistakes that startup founders make in the first few years. But what really matters is if you actually have a product that actually helps people mm. and solves a problem for them. And I think if you've got that, then as long as you keep at it and you, you have perseverance, you'll get there in the end. Yeah, that's why I've been wanting to get you on the podcast. It's been difficult to get you on it for a while um, yeah. because you're not big on the PR side of things, but um, I'm actually a paid subscriber of the service. I love it. I think it's a fantastic service. So describe it for listeners in terms of words about an infographic website. <laughs> Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's simple, right? So what I noticed when I was researching stocks before I started Simply Wall Street, you end up knowing certain bits about a company that you want to learn, that you want to include in your research, but it's extremely laborious to go and find all that information. You know, there's certain things that I like would like to check on, on the balance sheet or, you know, on the management team or lots of different things. And it's good to get to that stage in your investing that you know there's certain things that you want to check because it means you've got a bit of a pattern mm. and you're starting to develop a bit of a methodology that, of course, can evolve over time. So much of this stuff was there was no single place to get the information. So you've ended up going to multiple different sources of data and kind of combining them. A lot of people end up building their own spreadsheets, which is crazy. And so that's in a sense where we started, which was there because we said, first of all, this is a really important stuff that actually you want to be not skipping. And this is the thing. So 
people buy on hype, but some people not only buy on hype. Doing the research is, is so time consuming that the sort of basic research, they might just skip it. And so Simply Wall Street does a ton of that research for you. So we're not really a data provider. We're actually more of a, if you think of it, more of a research provider on companies. Very long-term outlook. I'll give you a funny story. First three years, the platform was live. There was no share price on the company report. We didn't even feature share price. Mm. I was such a strong believer at that point. I was like, you got to totally ignore share price because share price is what causes huge bias in your investing and just focus on the company. We did introduce share price. People, people, it turns out, <laughs> people, people yeah, like it. Turns it. Out it's kind of useful. But, you, know, uh, you know, we were very strong on that. So really trying to help people also have that thinking, that longer term thinking. And so our research on companies, it's totally unbiased. It's consistent, so it's not it's not favoring one type over another. It covers every area. It's like in super in depth. So, for example, people always tell you when you're investing. This used to annoy me a lot. <laughs> oh, you know, you've got to check the management team. Management team is really important to check. Which, of course, it is. I run my own company. Mm. I can tell you, management team is actually the most important thing. Those are the people that are actually making all the decisions. But then you go a bit deep. And you're like, okay, so how do I how do I check that right? And then some people say, oh, well, you can check the management team by looking at the return on equity. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> really? I mean, that's the result of a good management team, sure. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, we haven't yet seen that. So then the other alternative is to go into, you know, the annual reports and read up on every single person in the company and try and make your own decision. So Simply Wall Street actually makes that entire process extremely easy because not only are we already checking and making it easy to look at everyone on the team. You can see how much they own, how much they're getting paid, you know, what the incentive structure is. And then, of course, you have this thing, you know, insider trading. So am I going to go back through all the forms and check if anyone's been buying or that's, selling? For me, that's one of the most interesting parts of the site, where well, you, you can <laughs> see what insider trading, whether they've been selling or they've been buying, because you really want management to be buying their own. Well, you know, again, it's a good sign. And yeah. likewise, selling is something you should... It's a sign. I wouldn't blindly go off it. I would never tell anyone. No, there's, oh, there's all sorts of reasons, really. Exactly. Maybe yeah. they want to sell down and buy a house, you know, things like mm. that. But that's another great example, right? So insider selling uh, or insider buying, there's lots of different types of insider buying and selling. So the type that actually matters or is, has any kind of meaning is only when it's on the open market, mm-hmm. right? If it's not on the open market and they're doing it as part of a more structured plan, maybe it's an options plan, it doesn't mean a great deal. So again, we only include the open market stuff and most people are missing that entirely. And so we get a lot of emails, people saying, oh, you missed this transaction. We're like, well, actually we didn't miss it because it's not meaningful. So things like so that. So you're that granular with it. That you can, yeah. That's, you can that's which a, ones are important transactions and which ones are safe to ignore. That's exactly it. And that's yeah. the level of detail you want to go because otherwise we're, we're just creating more noise. And that's mm. generally the problem with investing. It is. It's, it's a noise huge as well. amount of There's noise. There's so much noise. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's the research side. And um, we have that on every company in the world, which is great as well. So we uh, Every uh, company in the world? Well, every listed company. Every, sorry, say. yeah. yeah every yeah, listed yeah. company in the world. That's amazing. <laughs> but, yeah. I think the private companies are a long way off. The, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're hard to access anyway. Yeah. but um, And that's great because, again, this also annoyed me when I was learning to invest because I sort of started my journey in UK, so investing in the UK market. Mm. Then I came to Australia. And since I was in Australia, the US market really opened up. Mm. But what I noticed, what really frustrated me was there was actually some really good tools in the US market, but you yeah. couldn't get them. <laughs> mm. It didn't cover the Australian market. And so you're really left behind when you're investing internationally. And so for us, basically from day zero, to be able to say every market has this, 
it's really nice. And it's the beauty of software. Like there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. Because we do all that deep research on all the mm. different companies, we can then use that to do a lot of other interesting things that are important as an investor. So for example, what we call monitoring, mm-hmm. which is basically where either you own a stock or you're thinking of owning one, keeping in touch with that stock and monitoring it. Again, we're monitoring it in a very different way to other websites where we're actually monitoring when the fundamentals of the company change. Mm. That's what we care about. We also can do really powerful what we call screening or sort of searching for new stocks because, again, we... I love the screening. (laughs) You can go and see what kind of um, investment style that you're interested in and um, the companies are listed under those. Well, exactly. Right. So we summarize our research in this visual called the snowflake and that's Mm. almost a little snapshot. Oh, we'll be going into deeper into the snowflake (laughs) in another segment. But, you know, that becomes a powerful tool to to screen and just just to look at stocks with different characteristics, which is really all it's meant to be, not meant to be, you know... People see the snowflake and they get a bit confused. They think you should buy the big green ones, but it's mm. not really designed like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I call it the blob. Yeah, there's lots of different <laughs> names for it. I didn't come up with the name of snowflake. One of my friends did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, let's talk about the snowflake. Yeah. What, do, what does that represent and what's it show and how would you use it in um, your investing style? Well, yeah, absolutely. So to give you a bit of history, in essence, when I was first experimenting, you know, this is before 2014, I was very interested in visualizing data. And I believe that some data, when it's visualized, can become much more Mm -hmm. meaningful. And I was experimenting with, with these different ideas of how you could sort of summarize a company or what a company looks like rather than having to trawl through a massive report to get that. And so I was always kind of had that that vision in my head of that was possible. I was experimenting with some different visualizations. And I remember someone said, uh, why don't you try using radar plots? Again, it wasn't actually my idea. I'm a big believer in getting feedback from your customers early on. So someone said, why don't you try radar plots? So I started researching and I thought, actually, this is, a, this is a good way of visualizing it. You interview a lot of fund managers, so they might have talked about it. But the world of funds management really has moved towards these like multi-factor models or sometimes called like smart alpha or smart beta or whatever models. Mm. And really all those models are doing is they're looking at a bunch of different factors and they're looking at a certain balance of the different factors to try to generate some kind of alpha. It's also a smart way of the fund managers excluding themselves from their performance because they say, hey, we just run the models. It's not our decisions. And and Mm. they get to sort of hide behind it a bit. So in essence, Snowflake is a multi-factor model because you can score in these different areas Let's look at like dividends, for example, right? You, to get six out of six dividends, you pretty much have to have a perfect, you have to be pretty much a perfect dividend payer, mm. right? But it's not binary, right? There's lots of different factors. Likewise, on valuation, we look at a bunch of different factors. So in a sense, it is a multi-factor model and that works really well. And so if someone's saying, I want a company that's going to grow a lot. Well, if you want a company that's going to grow a lot, then there's lots of different ways of looking at that. And this is what people often get confused about. If you want a company that's going to grow a lot, you probably do not want a company that's paying dividends, right? Because if they're going to grow a lot, they should be reinvesting their earnings. So those are great example where people get a bit greedy and they kind of want both, but you, you, yeah, you don't want both. You don't want yeah. both, yeah. Mm. So if you're going to try and find a really, you know, a company that you think that's going to have a lot of growth, you should purposely almost say, I don't want dividends at all because dividends is a bit odd. A lot of Australian companies seem to still do that. Yeah, whereas in the US, it's um, it's not about dividends really, is it? It's always about growth and reinvesting and growing. Yeah, well, actually. Not always. Not, well, not always, dividends. but also in the US, it's a lot about buybacks as well because of mm-hmm. the tax system. So, yeah. so that's just a simple example. And again, the Snowflake's just that snapshot. It's not meant to be the kind of, you know, I'm buying this company because the Snowflake is the shape. And of course, at the end of the day, we do need to use binary 
checks to generate the snowflakes. So there will be instances where it could sort of be just on the edge of all of the checks. But, you know, like I said, it's just that snapshot. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the things that a lot of our customers sometimes takes them a bit of time to get their head around. But once they do it, they're like, wow, this is, this is sort of a superpower now. So they really love it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In terms of infographics, one of the ones I find most interesting and useful, I'm a big believer that you don't want a company that's over-leveraged, that's got too much debt. And the infographic that shows you the long-term and the short-term liabilities is fantastic from where I'm looking and researching companies. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's such a simple graphic. <laughs> and it's such a simple graphic. And it's such, you know, and the numbers are really simple, yeah. really, aren't they? You know? It's kind yeah. of like, that's where a simple visual helps you so much to look at scale. Like just that one graphic, let's break it down, right? Because mm. this is what I love about helping people invest. First of all, how many investors understand the simple concept of assets, liabilities, short-term, long-term. Mm. Most of them, unfortunately, don't, right? Yeah. So just that alone, you know. Um, it's so important as well. It's so simple as well. Mm. It's, it's just that quick snapshot, how's it balanced? And so part of it is the educational aspect of even what those things are. And so mm. we, we cover that. Again, we do pretty basic checks because, for example, do the short-term assets cover the short-term liabilities well that's pretty simple mm. and once you understand what those numbers mean it's almost like the most logical thing to to check and then we do something else we look at short-term covering long-term liabilities which sounds strange but if you had a company that was in an extremely good financial position they would pass that as well sometimes these things are actually very simple but they're effective you don't need to you know overcomplicate the, the data or the visualization mm. So it must be a huge amount of work to analyze every company in the world. Where does this analysis come from? Well, that's what our team create, basically. So, yeah. you know, that's the beauty of software, you know, mm. so that we've created software that, that does that. So how does that work? The software finds the numbers and crunches them automatically? Is well, that... I mean, in a sense, yeah. So yeah. we use a data provider who provide the raw financial data, right, mm -hmm. which is um, like S&P, which are one of the largest data providers in the world. Yeah. And so they provide us with the raw financial data. And then what we're doing is analyzing it. And you could sort of think of it as coming to conclusions based on the data. And that's mm -hmm. what our software does. A lot of people these days are just uh, taking their first steps with ETFs. And ETFs are great. Okay, you're going to get a nice average return and it's a great way to start. Something that I've, I've, I don't know, maybe I'm going to be boring people with this again, but that um, if you know yourself and that you're interested in taking it further and researching companies, you're going to get some more long-term outsized gains from individual companies. And this is where I think something like Simply Wall Street does come in. This is, a, this is a really important point I think people get super confused about, right? So ETFs are great. Everyone should be investing in ETFs. That should be where you start. If you're really lucky in Australia, you even have superannuation. So in a sense, it's a tiny bit like an ETF. Um, yeah. In fact, probably more of them should just be ETFs. But ETFs are great because they are a passive, they should be used as a passive way of investing, which is a very easy way to start. So lots of people have, you know, 
I don't know where to start investing. Well, the place to start is there. That can just be your passive investing. Active investing in ETFs, which some people try and do and sort of timing it, that, that's getting a bit odd. I think the difference between ETFs and passive investing and active investing is active investing is much more of a learning experience. A lot of the reasons that people choose to active invest, and it is a totally optional activity. Okay, actually, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use an analogy for you, you'll see if you like yep. it. I compare active investing to cooking, okay? If sometimes if, if I'm someone who likes cooking, an outsider will look in and they'll say, why are you spending your time cooking? Like, I don't get it, you, you know, like it's not a good use of your time. You're not even very good at it. Why don't you just go order food from Uber Eats every night? and you don't need to worry about cooking anymore or go to a restaurant, right? But those people who say that don't understand the underlying reasons why people like to cook, right? And people like to cook because they like learning about cooking. They like improving their skills there. They like the building element of cooking. They like the creation element. And so the two aren't that dissimilar because when you're actively investing, you're building your own portfolio and you're learning to invest. And then after you've learned to invest, you're learning about the companies you invest in and you're saying, oh, you know, I bought this stock because I think I think that they're going to do this in the future. And then you say, oh, turns out I was wrong. You know, oh, what did I get wrong about it? Oh, I misunderstood their business model or something like that. And so, yes, yeah, to, to answer your question, I don't see the two as competitive. And there used to be a bit of a theme in the investment community that individuals should not actively invest, mm. which to me is the most crazy thing you can possibly say, mm. because that's like saying individuals should not be given a decision who they marry or which property they buy or which car they buy. The reason that people are saying individuals shouldn't be given that is because unfortunately a lot of them make mistakes when it comes to investing. Now I agree, we like people to make fewer mistakes with investing with their decisions, but hopefully we can help them, we can help them do that. And I actually believe there's no reason why individuals can't be as empowered as professionals, you know, which is that old mantra. Now leave, leave investing to the professionals, which is basically saying, we'll just take your money and we'll, <laughs> yes. we'll yeah. charge you a fee, fee for it. And by the way, we also, we're also learning as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's changing. And I think that's being mentioned a lot less. And, and you're seeing it recently, right, with the market, because if you were basically anyone who had any part of your portfolio in tech over the last year, You've done really well because the you know coronavirus has basically shown the world the high dependency we have on tech. Admittedly, mm. last night it crashed a bit. It was a great buying opportunity. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is um, that was a great example where you would have done better if you had any kind of weighting towards tech in your portfolio, which basically is is a very basic form of active investing. Mm. The other use I find for it is um, you know when you you know what you and I are like you know people that know where we work and what we do. And they're always saying, oh, what should we buy? You know, it's always what, you know, what should I be doing with my money? You know, get those questions. Or they've got some stock tip for you. And it's so good to be able to get the app out and go, hmm, do you think that's a really good idea? Have a look at this, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, that's just that process you just mentioned is, at least I like to think that we can help people yes. avoid those tips because that's where often the first mistakes are getting made, Right. And we're taking a very different approach to trying to help individual investors because mm. we're trying to say you're making the decision. We're not making the decision for you. We're not telling people what to buy or sell. We're just trying to tell you about the company yep. in an unbiased way and trying to help you think about buying the company for the long term, not, oh, how's this going to do in the short term? Maybe if I buy it now, it will beat the next earnings result and it will go up. That's not the type of investing that we're trying to help mm. people do. And um, the interesting thing about stock tips in general is 
it's in a sense no different to a fund manager. If I say follow an investing newsletter, right, hypothetically, I'm not learning, right, I'm just following. It would be like I'm going to go and learn to cook by going to a restaurant or learn to cook by reading a recipe book. But you don't learn to cook by any of those two methods. You learn to cook by making a lot of really bad dishes. (laughs) (laughs) And then hopefully the dishes get better over time. That's Mm. how you learn. And so even those ways of helping people invest or follow my stock tips, they're not really helping you. You might get lucky, which is nice, but you're not going to be any better investor afterwards. Mm. Let's have a look at um, screening, a bit more of a dive into the screening, because I think it's a really useful um, part of the app and part of the website. Actually, do you find more people use the app or the website? Um, We get most of the newer customers coming in on the website because most of them are searching for things on the web. Mm -hmm. still mostly on mobile, but then the longer term customers usually would migrate to the app over time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what are the um, the different uh, screening metrics that you offer? Well, we offer like a plethora of metrics effectively, right? So effectively, most of the important data points that you have in our research, you can screen for. So, you know, anything from valuation metrics, past earnings, future earnings, you can screen for insider trading if you you want. So the interesting thing about screening, right, Mm. is to me, it's just idea. It's just a way of generating ideas. So you can also get ideas from friends as long as you're still researching them, (laughs) right? When you're screening for for stocks, what you're saying is I have some kind of criteria in my head that I think is going to produce some kind of interesting interesting companies. Mm. And that's when screening, in my opinion, works really well because if you're getting your stock ideas from a newsletter that's also being sent to 100,000 people, that's not a new idea. Like everyone knows about that, right? Likewise, if you read about it online and everyone's already discussing it, it's not a new idea. Screening allows you to to really start to think independently and try to spot stuff that people haven't, right? That's why I think screening is gives you a, a bit of an edge. At the same time, what you have to remember is the whole point of the market is the market cap for stock is the market's valuation of it. So that's what everyone currently values it at. When you're buying your stock, you're basically saying, no, 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 the market's wrong. Mm. I have figured out something about this company that the market has not. And you've got to keep that in your mind whenever you're buying or selling. And so when you're screening or sort of, let's call it hunting for, for gems, sometimes if you're just doing basic stuff like no low P companies, you, you've got to sort of think, am I the only one who's doing that? So it's important to have that mindset when you're screening that you can definitely find interesting companies, but you need to go quite deep to find them, right? Mm. Generally speaking, if something is cheap, it's probably got some risk that you haven't spotted quite yet. The other thing, well, again, fascinating about screening is that no matter what criteria people are using to screen, at the end of the day, they're all looking for the same thing, which is... <laughs> How to make money? <laughs> well, yeah, looking, they're looking for stocks that they, yeah. that could be undervalued. That's mm. yeah, that's, that's what they're right, all yeah. looking for, right? Mm. Just lots. And there's of an infographic for that as well. Yeah, well, there's, that's part of it as well, yeah. obviously. But I'm just sort of saying that each of those they're just different flavors of effectively yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, even if someone comes to you and said, "Ah, oh, you know what, lithium stocks." Right. Well, that's them saying, I think lithium stocks may be undervalued. And then you can say, oh, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I'll go and research it. Yes. Maybe there are some. I don't know. Maybe they're all overvalued. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So, again, you've got to keep that mindset. The best thing is for me screening is just finding interesting companies that may have been overlooked. And the really interesting ones, if you really want to kind of take this to the next level, are companies that are small 
because tiny, 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 companies. tiny yeah. because basically the market hasn't given much value to them yet without analyst coverage. And obviously, once a company gets analyst coverage, generally speaking, there's a higher awareness. Generally, analysts will cover the, the larger end of the market. Mm. And as you know, the analysts are usually a bit biased anyway. So, you know, basically, if you really want to go for that high risk, high reward, obviously by choice, because a lot of them won't perform very well, that's where you can go and you can find a lot of companies on that. And so a lot of the well-known companies that even on the SX have done well over the last few years, they were sitting there. They get more and more known, right? And people just have awareness of them. Mm. You could find them. So, yes, yeah, so screening is fun. It's part of the part of the search <laughs> <laughs> so if um, people want to find out more information that there's an app and there's a website isn't there and it's all absolutely just just, yeah. go- just google it and um what's important is that it is, it is a paid service but we have a free plan right so you can, yeah, you can try a- it out it's a freemium, it. it's a freemium model. yeah so everyone yeah. can use it and don't feel that you have to you have to have a big portfolio to use it you don't the whole reason we have a free plan is Again, it really annoyed me when you're learning. You need this stuff and you can't afford to... My portfolio doesn't is you know, only a few hundred dollars. And so, um, mm. yeah, so that, that should help. You should better use it. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me today, Al. Well, thanks a lot. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Sulas for music production out of Garlic Breath Studio. Remember, music flows when the money don't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.